Hey everybody, good morning, and uh, really, really glad that you're here. Welcome those of you over in East Hall, those of you tuning in, really glad that you've tuned in. All right, quick update. A couple of weeks ago, we had a Micah 6-8 weekend where we introduced our initiative, Transform Summit. It's our church's response to the heroin and opiate epidemic that is ravaging our community, and there were like two parts to reach Summit County to rescue Summit County. Our idea is that Jesus needs to be right in the middle of that, so we need to be right in the middle of that. We talked about the pasta, how there's collateral damage, and it's not just addiction just doesn't impact the one person. It impacts everyone that loves them and cares for them. It throws children into the chaos of foster care. There's an uptick in human trafficking, sex trafficking. And so we're trying to look at all of that and how we as a church need to respond. And I want to give you one little bit of, of an update, and that's that one of our partners, Rahab Ministries, which actually rescues and cares for women that are caught in the sex trade, they've been trying to complete a safe house for underage girls uh, for a while. And uh, there's a huge need for that all over uh, our country, but particularly here in Ohio, there is only one other safe house for underage girls in our whole state, and that's in southern Ohio, and I think it has six beds. So uh, Rahab has been trying to complete one here. We were able to take $61,000 from what you gave two weeks ago and give it to them, push them over the edge so they can complete this beautiful home that will have enough space for 18 girls to find refuge. Yeah, thank you. And our hope and our prayer is that they not only find safety, but they begin to find healing, and they find the love of Jesus in that home. So thanks. All right. I will be giving you updates as we figure out more and more of our response uh, to this great problem right here. Uh, we are in the middle of a, of a four-week series that we're calling Agents of Change. Uh, the first week, we talked about prayer. Last week, we talked about the gospel. Next week, we're going to talk about the Bible. And today we talk about worship. Worship. All right. You are a worshiper. Every human being worships. There is something inside of us that it's more than a longing. It's a hunger. It's an appetite. It's a, it's a need to worship. Every time you have an inkling and you desire something like pleasure or beauty or goodness or purity or love, that is part of your deep, deep need to worship something or someone. It's not a question of whether or not you will worship. It's always a question of what you will worship or who you will worship. Always, always. It's like when I was seven years old. I told you this story before. I was out with my Little League team trying to raise money for our Little League in our little town, going door to door, and it was a really hot day, and I was super thirsty. I didn't know what to do. And I ended up kneeling by a puddle in the middle of the street, and I drank out of that oily puddle. It was never the sharpest knife in the drawer. <laughs> but this is the thing. If you do not worship at the fountain of living water, you will find yourself worshiping at an oily puddle. But make no mistake, you will worship. I'm going to show you just a one-minute video clip of people worshiping. This happens to be at a Michael Jackson concert. 
where they were singing We Are the World. I could have picked any number of concerts, but I wanted you to see this one, so show this clip. amazing, isn't it? In case you're not a music person, I thought I'd give you some pictures of other people who are preparing for worship. This is a Raiders fan, right? Then you have NASCAR, and you have some college students getting prepared as the Duke Blue Devils. All you have to do is Google search uh, rabid fans, and literally you get thousands upon thousands of images of people either worshiping or preparing to worship. Make no mistake, we are all of us worshipers. Three questions I want to talk about this morning. Uh, what worship is, how worship works, and what worship does. What worship is, how worship works, what worship does. First, uh, what worship is. Traditionally in churches, uh, we connect worship with singing and music, uh, which is a good connection because uh, worship or singing and music does something inside of us uh, that few things do, which is why I wanted to use the Michael Jackson uh, concert. But it's more than that. Worship is not less than that, but it has to be more than that. And I want us to look at a passage that might be a little bit surprising. It's in John chapter 4, because it's not what I would quickly think of when I think of worship. But there's a part of this story uh, in John chapter 4 where Jesus talks about worship. It's the story of the, of the Samaritan woman or the woman at the well. And so uh, let me just kind of frame it up, and then we'll look at the eight verses right in the middle. Jesus is traveling from Jerusalem up to Galilee, north. And in order to do so, he is, either has to go around Samaria or through Samaria. Most Jews would choose to go around Samaria because Jews hated Samaritans and Samaritans hated Jews. But Jesus went right through Samaria, and he ends up stopping outside of a little town called Sychar because he is hungry and he is tired and he is thirsty. And he sends his disciples into town to get food, and he stays by the well. And this woman comes out in the heat of the day to draw water. And they begin to talk. And throughout their talk, Jesus begins to tell her about herself. And he says, you have had five husbands, and the man you are living with is not your husband. He eventually offers her living water. She is the first person to see Jesus as both Messiah and Savior. And she goes back to the village to get everyone she can to come out and see Jesus so that they might experience him the way she experienced him. And right in the middle of that story, they talk about worship. And this is what they say. I'm going to begin reading at verse 19 and read through verse 26. This is what it says. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. 
our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is speaking, or seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit. Uh, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman I know that Messiah is coming. He was called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. This is God's word. The word worship occurs seven times in those eight verses. Uh, the Greek word for worship is proskuneo, which literally means to bow down or to prostrate yourself before a superior now, in our culture, here in the, in the American culture, we don't do that. We don't have kind of set ways to approach somebody who is a superior and bow to them. But in other cultures around the world, there, that happens all the time. Uh, we just had a royal wedding over in England. I don't know if you noticed, right? But uh, this woman, uh, Meghan Markle, is going to have to learn what it means to meet someone and what she's supposed to do when she meets somebody who is a superior, particularly the queen, or what she's supposed to do when somebody meets her and treats her as a superior. I was in India uh, at an orphanage when a, a, a string of little boys came walking by me, and they were uh, beautiful little boys. They had big smiles on their faces, and as they walked past me, every one of them put his hand up to his head like this, and I thought they were saluting. So I was going, at ease, little guy. <laughs> see you later. You know, good to see you. Thanks for coming. And um, my Indian host took me aside and said, you're confusing them. And I said, well, how so? And he said, they put their hand to their head as a sign of respect because you're an honored guest. And when you do that back, they don't know what you mean or what you're doing. So I was going, okay, I'll quit saluting back. The closest that we come in our culture is when somebody you, you deeply respect uh, surprises you, comes on in an unexpected way. Uh, if I'm laying on my sofa at home watching TV and I'm eating chips and salsa or something, and um, one of my family members comes in, I might not budge. I might just yell out, hey, how you doing? I'm in here. Right? But if somebody I deeply respect comes in, if, if my wife comes in and she says, oh, Joe, Ravi Zacharias is here. Then I would jump up, and I would, say, I would look at the mess, and I would say, oh, I'm, I'm so sorry. Right? Why, do, why do I apologize? It's proskuneo. It's a sign of respect to somebody I view as a superior. So there are a couple of ways that we show a worship, that we experience worship. Uh, and one is that we we. It's a response to revealed greatness. That's one way that we worship. The other way we worship is a recognition of deep value. Let me start with the response to revealed greatness. Uh, I love the theme. There's a kind of a, a basic theme that a lot of movies, a lot of books have, and that's of a, of a king who's living among the peasants and all the peasants think he's one of them until finally there comes a point in the story where he throws off his cloak and he reveals himself as the king and everyone bows down. 
I love that theme. Right? That happens all the time in books and movies. Uh, nowadays, you can look up on YouTube or you can see on a Facebook posts different things where America's got talent or Britain's got talent. And those, those shows, of they're kind of talent shows where somebody will come up on stage and they look like they can't sing at all. And all the audience is just going, what are they doing here? They're just going to embarrass themselves. And they walk up and they're all hunched over or whatever. And they look nervous and they open their mouths. And it is just stunning. And whenever that happens, the cameraman pans the audience because there's a visceral response that happens in the audience. First, they're shocked. And then they begin to emote. They begin to, to tear up. They begin to weep because of the revealed greatness. There's an appropriate response. There's a, there's a visceral response to revealed greatness. We do it, it with athletes all the time. When an athlete does something spectacular, when LeBron James hit the last second shot against Toronto, everybody in my living room jumped up and did the same thing. We we're all just going, whoa, slapping high five, all that. Throughout the Bible, uh, God is revealing himself. Whenever he reveals himself, there's a visceral response. Whenever somebody has eyes to see the greatness of God. Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 6, I'm going to read this because it's such a, a, an amazing and wonderful passage. This is Isaiah chapter 6. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, with two he flew, and one called to another, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory, and the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. What happened? There's a revealed greatness of God. And Isaiah was responding to it. It happens at the end of the book of Job. When God shows up at the end of the book of Job, Job says, I heard about you with my ears, but now I have seen you with my eyes, and I repent in dust and ashes. It happens in Luke chapter 5 when when Peter comes into contact with Jesus for the very first time, he, he bows down, he hits his face, and he says, please depart from me, for I am a sinful man. Even in John chapter 18, when the mob comes to arrest Jesus at the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus says, whom do you seek? And they say, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus says, I am he. And when he does, it's like he splits open just a tiny crack into his greatness, and he shows them that, and they fall down. And if you've read that passage, it's almost comical. They all fall backwards, and Jesus has to wait for them to, to get back up so they can arrest him. Right? It's, it's the revealed greatness of God. To the extent that you experience that, is the extent you worship everything. When you come to church, everything we do is intended to try to reveal the greatness of God. From the songs that we sing, to the prayers that we pray, to the sermons that we preach, we're like trying to pull back the curtain and say, look at him. See him. Because if you see anything of the greatness of God, there will be just a natural response. There will be a, a visceral response that is worship. That's one way of worshiping. There's another way, and it's not 
uh, seeing the revealed greatness of God. It's recognizing the deep value. So I mean, the closest I can get to this is when you have a, a mother with a newborn baby, and that mother will sit with that newborn baby for hours just looking at every feature. And she will like um, adore that baby. She will revel in that baby. She will love that baby. She will enjoy the sweetness of the smell of the newborn baby, right? And what she's doing is not understanding the revealed greatness. She is understanding the preciousness of that baby. And what's interesting is that that will actually give her a strength and a willingness to sacrifice that she never knew she had, that she probably didn't have until she will do things for that baby. She will stay up sleepless nights. She will do all kinds of sacrifice simply because she understands the preciousness of that child. To the extent that we understand the preciousness of Jesus, there will come inside of us a strength that we don't know we have and a willingness to sacrifice we wouldn't have for anyone else if we see his preciousness and his value. That's what it is. Now the question is, how, how does worship work? How does it work? There are two parts to the way worship works. One I'm going to call a hard connection, and one I'm going to call a soft connection. The hard connection uh, works like this. This is my phone, and uh, this is my, uh, these are my earphones. And in order to listen to anything, I have to have a hard connection. This little cord has to go into my phone. Now, I know that there are wireless things out there now. So don't come up to me after a service and say, you know, there's wireless. When you preach, you can have your own illustrations, all right? <laughs> this is mine. But if I don't have a hard connection, I can't hear anything. Now, just because I have a hard connection doesn't mean I'm listening to anything. All right? That will bring me to the soft connection. But let me, let's look at the Scripture for a second. In this passage that I read with the Samaritan woman, uh, let me start with verse 19. I'm going to read to verse 24. It says, The woman said to Jesus, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say in Jerusalem is the place where people are to worship. You know what she's asking there? She's saying, where's the hard connection to worship God? Do you have to go to Jerusalem or do you have to go to Jerusalem? Right? We know we need a hard connection. Where is it? And then Jesus says, uh, Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews, but the hour is coming and now is here where the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit. Those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Interesting, Jesus doesn't say, it, as a good Jew, the answer would be Jerusalem at the temple. That's where Jews connect. That's where the hard connection was with God for Jews. Like a Jew could, could learn about God at a synagogue, but if you wanted to worship, you had to go to the temple because the temple is where the sacrifices were. It's interesting. Jesus doesn't say you have to go to the temple. The other thing Jesus doesn't say is, oh, no, you get it all wrong. You can worship anywhere. You can worship God on the golf course. You can worship God in nature. That's not what he says. He says, woman, the hour is coming, and the hour is now here where something's going to change about the hard connection between you and God. It's interesting 
When Jesus uh, is tried before his crucifixion, one of the accusations against him was this. He said, destroy the temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And Jesus was talking about himself. When Jesus dies on the cross, one of the most interesting details is that the, the curtain that separated the holy of holies in the temple was torn in two, uh, exposing people to God for the first time. And what Jesus was telling the Samaritan woman is the hour is coming where I will replace the temple as the hard connection between you and God, which is what Jesus meant in John 14, 6, when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. You cannot worship the true God unless you go through Jesus. He is the hard connection between you and God. But just because you have a hard connection doesn't mean you're, you're hearing anything. Just because you have received Jesus as your Savior and your Lord doesn't mean you're worshiping or getting better at worship. So that's a soft, what I'm calling a soft connection. Verse 24 says this, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. question is, what does that mean? What does it mean to worship God in spirit and in truth? I heard this illustration a while ago, and I liked it, so I'm going to use it uh, right now. This is an old-fashioned camera. <clears throat> the way an old-fashioned camera works is there's a, there was a plate inside of this, and the plate was uh, treated with a chemical that would make it light-sensitive so that when, when light came through the lens, it would, make it, it would go through the chemical and make an impression on the plate. That's how you got a picture. If the plate is your heart, then the chemical treatment of your heart that makes it light sensitive or truth sensitive is the spirit. And then when the spirit covers your heart and you hear truth, then all of a sudden it makes an imprint on you, which is why there are times, and I hope this has happened to you, but there are times like every week where somebody will come up to me and they'll say, you know what? Something's happened in me. When I come to church and we start singing, I begin to to tear up. I get emotional. What's going on? Right? What's going on is worship. Right? What, what has happened is that the, the Spirit of God is beginning to cover your heart so that you become sensitive to the truth that you are singing. It can happen with men and women. It happens with, with sermons, too, where somebody will come up to me and say, that, that sermon was just for me. It was like you were talking just to me. What's happening? Well, it means that the, the Spirit has made your heart sensitive to the truth, and it's making an imprint on you. You can read Scripture, and read it can be just words, and then all of a sudden you'll read a verse you've read before, but on this particular time, it, it all of a sudden penetrates your heart. You'll read, God is my refuge and my strength, a very present help in time of trouble. And for whatever reason, right then, that enters into you, and it actually changes how you are experiencing life right then. That's more than timing. That's worship. It's worshiping in spirit and in truth. And if you're going to be a worshiper, there has to be that hard connection. There has to be a soft connection. And that brings me to the last thing, is what worship does. What worship does. There's something that worship does on the inside of us and something that he does that it does on the outside of us. Let me start with the inside. 
When I was six years old, I shared a bedroom with my brother Brian. And we were like most brothers where when we were going to bed, we would talk, sometimes we would quarrel. But this particular night, we were talking. And I remember we were talking about uh, how strong we were. And I don't know why we were talking about that. But right when we were talking about how strong we were, my dad opened the bedroom door to say goodnight. And I still remember. I remember I was on the bed on the left. My brother was on the bed on the right. And my dad, the, the door was this way. And when he opened the door, there was a light shining behind him. And for whatever reason, one of us said, hey, dad, dad, make a muscle. Right? My dad said, what? And we said, make a muscle. Because we were talking about how strong we were. And my dad kind of smiled and he went, and he made a muscle. Right? And the light was shining behind him. And then when he, closed, when he said, okay, good night, guys, and he closed the door, we laid there in darkness, and we went, whoa. <laughs> because his arm looked so huge compared to our little skinny arms, right? I don't know how long it took me to go to sleep that night, but I remember I felt more safe and more secure. Nothing had, ha- nothing had changed in my life, but I felt more safe, more secure than ever. Because the one that was the strongest loved me the very most. The Samaritan woman comes into contact with Jesus. And in that just experience, something changed inside of her. She began to change how she saw herself, how she saw her life, how she saw her future. And all of a sudden, she was filled with joy, with hope, and with excitement. Nothing had changed in her life. Her life, her circumstances, her life was, a, was an absolute train wreck. And as far as we know, nothing changed in her circumstances. But in a way, everything changed for her. And it changed because of worship. You come in here today and your life may be a train wreck. And nothing may change in your circumstances, but if you connect with God and worship, then there's something that can change inside of you that actually does make all the difference in the world. That's the change that happens on the inside. Then there's a change that happens on the outside. There's a, a willingness to sacrifice, a desire to serve, uh, a longing to give that you only get out of worship. Uh, imagine um, with, with sacrifice, I talked about the mother who is willing to sacrifice because she sees the preciousness of the baby. But when you talk about serving, let's say uh, one of your heroes comes into your home and sits down. I don't know who that might be. I don't know who your heroes are. It might be Denzel Washington or LeBron James or um, Bono, Elon Musk. I don't know who your, who your big heroes are. But they're sitting down in your living room. And you say, is there anything I can get you? And they say, you know what? I I would love a glass of iced tea. And you go into your kitchen to fix them iced tea. How do you feel? You're putting ice in. You're just going, I can't believe it. This is awesome. You bring it out. You go, here, here. I hope it's good, right? I hope this is exactly what you want. Here's a question. How do you feel when you're serving Jesus? How do you feel? When when you uh, sign up for something or whatever your name is called, you go, ah, me, why, didn't, why, why aren't there more people who serve? Why do I have to do this? Right? If, you, if you're like that, you need to worship. You need to worship. 
Because if you see something of the revealed greatness of God, if you see something of the preciousness of Jesus, then service won't feel like that. All right. Then there's a, a longing to give. It's a great story that I heard about Benjamin Franklin. Benjamin Franklin was not a Christian. He made that very public. He believed in a general concept of God. He didn't believe that Jesus was God. But whenever uh, there was an evangelist named George Whitfield, and whenever he came anywhere close to Ben Franklin, Ben Franklin would go to hear him speak because he, he thought George Whitfield was just a tremendous speaker. And, and something happened every time that uh, Ben Franklin would go to hear George Whitfield speak. And the way Whitfield would do it is he would speak, and then at the end of his service, he would take an offering. And uh, Ben Franklin always felt like he gave too much at that end, and it bothered him because he would do it in the kind of the moment he would give a lot of money, and then he would go back to his house, and he would be mad at himself for giving so much, and he didn't know why. So one time, he was going to go see George Whitfield speak, and he thought, you know what? I'm going to leave all my money at home. So I can't overgive no matter how I feel. And so I went to hear George Whitfield, didn't bring any money. George Whitfield spoke. At the end of, the, of his message, he, get, he took an offering, and Ben Franklin started borrowing money from everyone around him, and he threw it all on the plate. Why? What George Whitfield was doing was, was able to do was show something of the greatness of God, and there was an appropriate response when you see something of the greatness of God, even if you don't know him yet. So, you are a worshiper. It's never a question of whether or not you will worship. It's only a question of what and who you will worship. And if you have this connection with Jesus where you have received him as your Savior and your Lord, then you have a chance to see something of his greatness, something of his preciousness. And to the extent that you do, it will, it will form in you a willingness, a strength, and a willingness to sacrifice that wouldn't be there any other way. A desire to serve, a longing to give. And worship will actually have the power to change how you experience life and who you become because worship has the power to change you. Transformed. 2018. Let's pray. God in heaven, uh, we come to you and I, I want to be a better worshiper. I need uh, times when I see your greatness. I can go days without seeing even a sliver and then uh, when it does, there is something that is overwhelming. Lord, I pray that uh, when people come here, that these people who are precious in your sight, when they come to experience uh, this church service, that they will, they will see something of your greatness. I pray for all of us that we will sense the preciousness of Jesus. And as we do, I pray that you will use our worship to actually change us from the inside out into the kind of people that we want to be, and that you long for us to be. Thank you. Thanks for Jesus, our Savior. And we pray this in his name. Amen.